page 918 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. And just a little clarifying, it's Ralph and Karen going back to New York, or going back to Pennsylvania, not Ralph and Judy. Don't want to cause a fight with you guys before you leave. Sorry about that. Whew. <laughs> you get the name wrong in some places, not good. Well, we are glad that you're here. And if you are our guest, you have come on a very important day because we have arrived at a seminal moment in the scriptures that we are going to walk through, especially if you are here and you're not Jewish. Limits most of us. If you are here and you are not Jewish, this is a story in Acts 10 and 11 of how the good news of Jesus Christ came to us. Yeah. If you're Jewish, you can do a little, yeah, that's us, okay. Steinhausers want you to meet little John on the way out. John, meet the Steinhausers. It'll be good for you, all right? The rest of us, this is for us, okay? And uh, I hope that all of us want to be a part of God's worldwide plan. We are working through the book of Acts. We are calling it sent, okay? And we are learning this, how God blesses his word through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? As we, the church, go out and testify about Christ. I told you in our very first sermon in Acts that real Christians think big. Not big as far as just numbers in a building. We need to think big in terms of wider gospel impact. Now let me get into the text and its implications this way. Stephen Covey, who is the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells a story on a Sunday morning subway ride in New York City. This is for our friends from New York. It was a quiet subway ride. One guy was reading the newspaper. Someone else was lost in thought. And one lady was catching up on sleep. Now, if you don't know how to sleep on a subway, give it time, right? You'll, you'll figure it out. But it was a calm and peaceful ride until they walked in. It was a man and his children. His children were loud and rambunctious. They were yelling at each other. They were throwing things at each other. And they were either messing with other people's stuff. What made the situation even worse was that it appeared that the dad wasn't going to do anything about it. He had his hand, on his, or his head in his hands, he was staring at the floor, and it seemed like everyone else in the subway was thinking, couldn't you do something with your kids? Couldn't you get your kids to be quiet? Have you ever been in that situation where everyone is looking at each other, and then looking at the kids, and then looking back at each other like, man, come on. Seriously, get control of your kids. Well, seven minutes went by, and Stephen Covey couldn't take it any longer. He was fed up with the commotion. So he looks at the guy, and he says, your kids are really disrupting everybody. Do you think you can do something? The man lifted his head like he just woke up from a nap. His eyes were bloodshot. He says, I'm so sorry. I should do something. It's just, well, it's just we just left the hospital about an hour ago, and their mom and my wife just died. i got to be honest with you. I don't know what we're going to do. And here's what Stephen Covey said. Can you imagine how I felt in that moment? 
my paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things in a completely different way. My irritation vanished. My heart, which was full of frustration, was now full of compassion. In a moment, everything about the situation changed. I bet you can relate to a situation where you thought you knew reality. You thought you knew all the facts. But then something or someone comes along and you realize that the known facts are not all the facts. It's exactly what happens in Acts 10 and 11. Here's the problem. Big picture. You guys ready to catch the big picture? Here's the problem. Religious discrimination on the basis of race. Religious discrimination on the basis of race is the problem. And people often come to them and say, Josh, do you do your sermon series based upon current national situations? Do we intentionally try to arrange our sermons to be relevant for what's going on in our times? And what I love to show people is the sermon cards in the back of your pews that show how long this has been planned because we don't need to manipulate the Bible to try to address what is going on in our day. We just work through books of the Bible, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, and we learn this. Religious discrimination on the basis of race is no respecter of time or place or ideology. Now, Some of us might think, oh, this is the early church. Wouldn't we love to go back to the early church? Surely the early church would get this right. I mean, they were the closest to Jesus. They heard Jesus say, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That seems to include all races because we're in all places. Surely they would get that. And not only was it the early church, but they also had the apostles. Who better than Stephen, the spokesman? I mean, surely he's going to get the reality of the universality of Jesus' mission that is for everyone. But we're going to find in Acts 11 that Peter's behind the times. He's slow to connect the dots that salvation is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. Now we're covering two chapters comprising 78 verses in 30 minutes. How? Mark Alpha's like, yeah, right. <laughs> there is no how about it. It's just more like a win. Okay, weekly gathered photo. If you're new to our church or if you're here consistently, every week on Wednesday we send out an email that's called our weekly gathered, and we encourage you to read through the passage we're going to be preaching ahead of time. We believe the most spirit-filled church is the most word-centered church, and if you want to have a spirit-led worship service, how better than to say, here's the text we're going to be looking at. Read it. Read it yourself. Ask these questions. Learn on your own. This is how we get it. You get it every Wednesday. A little tidbit of just saying, if you're new here and you haven't been here in a while, you don't know what that is, you can get it. So, simplicity. Here we are. Really, 10 and 11 is the same story repeated three times. So we have three episodes, really, that unfold, chapters 10 through 11. It's like a trilogy. The first part of the trilogy is the conversion of Peter as he comes to understand the universality of Jesus' mission. It's for everyone. Peter has to get that through his thick head. Second, we get the conversion of Cornelius. 
Roman centurion, to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Cornelius has to get that. Then finally, the whole Jerusalem church needs to get converted because they have a self-styled, superior attitude concerning themselves that they need to get over. Now here's the thing. A lot of little footnotes this morning. Don't worry. The first point is the longest. The next two, bam, bam. No conclusion, really. We're doing application as we go. So if you think the first point is going long, you're like, there's two more? Okay, it's just little, okay? It's little, I promise. <laughs> you got to say that sometimes, all right? We got subways to catch, trips to make, pot roast on, and a beach to sit underneath the nice sun on. All right, so here we are. The conversion of Peter to the universality of Jesus' mission. In Acts 10, we notice first a man named Cornelius, and we get his place, his race, and his profession. Look at verses 1 and 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. We got his race. His place and his profession, he is Roman to the core. He is a centurion of the Italian cohort. In the ancient Roman world, a centurion is equivalent to a captain. He is responsible for 60 to 100 men. He has immense military experience. Guys, we would say he is a man among men. He knows how to go to war, and he knows how to help other men go to war with him. He's a centurion. But he's of the Italian cohort. You can begin to feel the weight of Rome. Centurion. Cornelius. Italian. Now Judaism, which is what Peter's a part of, they had an uneasy relationship with Rome. They needed Rome, right, to provide security. But at times Rome just kind of squashed them and did their own thing. So most Jewish people at the time would love to see Rome in the rearview mirror. Gone. We want our own Messiah, our own kingdom, our own rule. That's what they want. But we learn that this Italian cohort, Roman centurion, is, not verse 2, a devout man. It's a religious term. We know that he feared God, he gave alms, he prayed. And so now we are beginning to think maybe there's hope that things could be different. A vision comes in the midst of his prayer. Look at verses 3 and 4. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Right? He then gives him instructions to send people to get Simon. Here's what's really great about this. What we have is a man who doesn't just have a religious experience, right? What does he get? God heard him. God is going to send someone to speak to him so that he can move beyond just the, the chills of an awesome worship service and begin to actually get revelation from God on what he's supposed to do. He moves from the tingles uh, raising my hands, this was awesome, to I'm actually going to be able to hear from God on what he wants me to do. This is a good thing. We have hope 
that there is a God who will make himself known. That's what we all need. We need God who wants to make himself known, and he makes himself known now to those who are outside the very promises of God, Israel. Real hope. Friends, God wants a word with the world. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you still need to hear this word that Cornelius needed to hear from Peter. But I wonder, how is it that God has prepared you to hear his word? Think back over your life. What has God done to prepare you to hear the good news? Friend, if you're here, just because you're ignoring God does not mean that God's ignoring you. You can be trying in all your power to ignore God here. Cell phones are a great distraction in a worship service. That's just an app, Mom. promise. Just a quick little text. The things that happen in your life can all be used by God when he wants to have a word with you. Why do you think you had the upbringing that you had? Perhaps it was to show you the desperate brokenness in this world if you came from a hard background. But maybe you came from a beautiful background that shows you the beauty of godliness. And God's using that to entice you to him. Why do you think you have the job or the spouse that you have? Friends, God can use absolutely everything to get a word with you and to turn it to his glory. And my encouragement is, don't wait for a vision. Don't wait for a Cornelius kind of vision. Did you notice that Cornelius does not get saved through the vision? He only gets a vision to say that someone else is going to come to you who's going to preach the good news to you, a messenger, so you can respond then. So as God is preparing Cornelius to have a chance to hear the good news, God at the exact same time is preparing Peter to go and preach the good news to him. Look at chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. The next day, as they were on their journey, approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Welcome to the hard heart that must be overcome if things are going to be different. Welcome to... Simon Peter, the chief follower of Jesus, the leader of the pack. Peter, the preacher of the word, is the last one to get in line with Jesus' mission. The preacher is the last one to get in line with the mission. What does that say about the preacher? You get what I'm saying? Now notice that Peter prays, he falls into a trance. And in this trance, it is an ancient Near Eastern version of pigs in a blanket. I don't care who, that, that's funny, all right? It, it, you should laugh at that, okay? The vision comes down, it's a blanket with all kinds of pork in it. It is the ancient near, pigs in a, I worked hard at that. 
If you don't think that's funny, you, you might as well leave, all right? Here's the next part. And then God tells him, rise, kill, and eat. Men, if you want a verse to memorize or a verse that is your life verse, that is it. Rise, kill, and eat. That's awesome. I worked hard at that one. This is rural New England. There's some hunters in here. All right, well, all right. In all seriousness, Peter was not just getting a new food menu, okay? It was not about the food. It was about the fellowship. It was not about the pork. It was about the people, right? And so Peter rebukes the Lord and says, by no means, Lord. It happens three times. And let's talk about this heart that's hard. Here we have the privileged one, the elect one, the holder of majority culture. He is the ultimate insider, and he's a separatist. Leviticus 11, you want to go home and read that? You can feel free and see all that they're supposed to be separated by. Now, friends, if you are here and you are not a Christian, please know that your pastor and the people here at this church do not find it hard to believe how hard Peter's heart is. We confess that all of us have a tremendous capacity for misunderstanding self-serving prejudices, and our Bible is very honest about our failings. But we also want to testify how patient our God is in working with us against our hard hearts. God can work with us, God can reform us, and it happens in community as we hear the word of God together in the context of congregations that are committed to following him. If you're not a part of a congregation, to hear God's word, be held accountable to it, it's easy to dismiss. And God is going to prepare each of us for the ministry he's called us to, no matter where our hard hearts start at. But this hard-hearted one had to understand that God has the ability to make anyone clean. And I hope and pray that someone would hear the gospel for the first time from you. Right? How exciting would that be? You could be the person that brings the gospel to somebody for the first time. There is no time, there is no place where you live that is by accident. He has prepared you to share that all people can have equal access and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So this vision demonstrates Peter's hard heart. But it gives way to verses 17 through 23 that Peter gets this independent verification that what he saw in a trance because he was hungry wasn't just him dreaming, okay, but really was God sending that message. Notice the word while in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what that vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are lurking for you. Hear this phrase again. Rise, go, not kill and eat. No, rise, go down. And accompany them without hesitation. Peter, do you want to know how to apply rise, kill, and eat? Rise, go down, and preach. That's how you're going to apply it today. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. 
was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. What are some hints that things can be different? Verse 23, hint number one, write it down, hospitality. Peter invited them in to be his guest. Honey, guess who's coming for dinner? Some men from the Italian cohort. <laughs> They're not Jewish. <laughs> They're coming in our house. Let's get this ready. But to be converted to the universality of Jesus' mission, he invited them in to be his guest. The first hint that things could be different is that Peter opens the door and allows others to cross the threshold into his life. We want to grow in that area at FCBC. Our doors should be as open as the gospel. Inviting people in from persuasion, color, economic bracket. Invite them in. Let them see the gospel played out around a table. Second hint, there is a measure of equality. Look at verse 25. Peter eventually goes to Cornelius. When he entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Peter, an uneducated fisherman from Galilee. you got to wonder how many Roman centurions fell down at his feet in his lifetime. You might be tempted to think, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. But there probably isn't too many Roman centurions falling down at a fisherman's feet. Would you agree? And what does Peter say? He extended equality. I, too, am a man. Finally, an indication of a shared humanity. Multiracial, cultural moment. I am you, you are me. We will stand together in our shared humanity because we are both made in God's image. Peter gets it. And then there's finally a leveling of the ground. His partiality is finally repudiated. You can see it in verses 34 and 35. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. There it is. Something he does. Hospitality. Something he says. Shared humanity. Something that he now believes and understands. There is no partiality. Peter had to get converted to the universal mission of Jesus. And now we're going to finally see Cornelius get converted to the exclusivity of the message of Jesus. God did all of this, prepared all of this, moved heaven and earth to make all of this happen. Let's look at verses 36 through 48. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God gives a vision to both Peter and Cornelius. God communicates to Cornelius through an angel of the Lord. And yet, God sends Peter, a human, to deliver the message of salvation. You get that, church? God can give visions. God can prepare people. God can speak through a vision. But when he wants to testify about Christ, he sends who? Us. We get a part to testify about Christ. God saves Cornelius through the spoken word and the power of the Spirit, which means that many of us need to get ready to go. Whether it's across the street, where you shop, where you work, where you play, where you study, open your mouth and testify. Salvation doesn't come without a messenger persuading who Jesus is and what he has done in a moving of the Holy Spirit. So many churches today in America want to divide the Holy Spirit from the Word. But a truly Spirit-led church keeps the Word and the Spirit together. You preach the Word, the Spirit works through the Word. Peter was prepared to share this gospel, and I challenge you with 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Would you notice with me a couple things about what Peter shares? It would be important for you if you're here and you're not a Christian. What is it that Christians believe? Well, first, Christians believe that Jesus was anointed by God. Look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Did you notice Peter's Trinity reference there in verse 38? Come on, church. You're good Bible students. Did you notice the Trinity reference? Talk to me. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth in the power of the Holy Spirit. You want a good verse to prove the Trinity? There it is, right there in the middle of 38. And God was with him. Then the message moves from the anointing to verse 42 that God appointed Jesus. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. This is the exclusive claim of Christianity. Jesus was anointed by God in ways unlike any other person. And Jesus was appointed by God to offer you things that can come in no other person. Acts 10.43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the unique gift of Christianity, through the unique Savior. And Peter preaches peace, peace with God. Look at verse 36. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. When you hear and you think of peace, we might think peace with one another. But at this church, we want to remind you every Sunday that your biggest need is not peace this way, it's peace this way. 
We are not born at peace with God. We are born at enmity with God, and we need someone to make peace for us. And that's why Gail Martinez read Romans chapter 10, and that's why it's based on Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Only Jesus held the unique anointing to bring peace in our relationship with God because he was appointed to die and rise again in our place. He has unique power over the grave and he can bring anyone with him. Anyone with him. Christ, exclusive claim, appointed and anointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And we share that message there is salvation in no other name. That's good news. That's good news that Cornelius needed to hear. It's good news that you needed to hear. It's an exclusive Savior who puts forth a universal promise. Did you notice all of the alls? Did you notice that? Verse 36. Preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing what? All. Verse 43. To him... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Right? All, all. You are hearing a message this morning that is not out of touch for you. It is not out of reach for you because we have a Savior that is near and moves and is close to every single one of us. Cornelius is converted to the exclusive message of Jesus. But as soon as you get an exclusive message, don't we have a problem? It gets a little sticky, right? Those that have access to it, we can become the elites. We can stay inside our church and say, this message is good for us to preach to ourselves, and we have this message, and then we just keep it to ourselves. And oftentimes, we hear the privilege of being a witness for Christ as like a judicial sentence. You are sentenced to three years of proclaiming Christ. It's like, you mean I... I'm being punished to be a witness. Instead, as the people that are brought in, we get to go out and share, and it's a privilege to testify about Christ, not some judicial sentence that, oh, praise God, I did not get the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Dodge that one, okay? I mean, that's not how we should think, church. Oh, man. But Jesus taught, clearly in his resurrection, clearly throughout his time on earth. Acts 1.8, we're to be witnesses wherever we go. Now the Jews could have heard that and said, okay, yeah, let's go share with the Jews that have been scattered throughout all of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And let's go share with just the Jews. That's how they could have heard it. And so we have here something I really want you to hear, church. It's about your church leaders. You listening? We have leaders in Acts 10 and 11 who are still working through the implications of the gospel themselves. We have leaders that have not arrived yet in Acts 10 and 11. They are still inconsistent with what Jesus told them to obey. So if you have leaders working through the implication of the gospel, guess what you're going to have? Churches 
that still are going to be working through the implications of the gospel, which is why we have Galatians to address problems, Philippians to address problems, Colossians to address problems. We have Corinthians to address problems. We have John writing from exile in the Isle of the Patmos to seven churches that have problems. Why? Because even though we've heard it and we believe it, we haven't seen how all these implications work out. And so as we are patient with you as your pastors and shepherds, we would love it if you're patient with us because Peter didn't get it yet. Little FYI. Last, the conversion of the Jerusalem church. Jerusalem church has to get converted to the mindset of Jesus. They had to be careful. They had to be teachable. In verses, chapter 11, verses 4 through 18, Peter recounts what happened. It's the exact same story. We're not going to read it again. He tells it all over again. We're going to pick it up in verses 15 through 18. Chapter 11, 15 through 18. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The penny finally drops for the apostles. God is going to let non-Jews be a part. But the Jerusalem church is careful. The Jerusalem church is careful to make sure Peter preaches the gospel. So they say, hey, Peter, what you preach? And Peter is careful to say, this is what I preached. And so church, we pray that we will be like the Bereans who are very careful to make sure that everything that is said and taught here lines up just like this Jerusalem church did. But I also pray that we wouldn't just be Bereans. This church was teachable. Because after they were careful and they saw that they had a superior mindset that it was only for the Jews, they fell silent. And that is not in the sense of like that they were at peace. It was they got confronted and they're like, hmm, hmm, we were wrong, hmm. It's, it's a humble silence. It's a, it's a stunned silence. It's a, I didn't see that one a coming silence. It's a, we got to rethink a couple things. So our church be marked by careful study of the truth, but also that we would follow it quickly and that we would follow God's truth humbly. Isaiah 66, 2 says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at my word. So here we are, Acts 10 and 11, done. Culture shock, another culture shock in the book of Acts. Another paradigm shift, right? Last week, we had the individual conversion of Saul. Now we have the corporate conversion of the Jerusalem church. And you know what that means? We are all confronted with the baggage that we bring with us into Christianity and what we bring with us into church. We bring things that we think need to be a certain way. We're all confronted. And what happens over time is that people start thinking this, that if I'm separated from, then I am better than. It happens, and it's not just back here. We don't go to that school. We're separate from. Therefore, we are better than because we do it this way. 
we don't do this. We are separate from because I vote this way. Therefore, I am better than. We don't have, I'll speak for myself or something like that, right? I mean, a TV. We are separate from the world. Therefore, we are better than. You just go on the list, all right? Anything that we do. And the gospel challenges every person in every culture and every age and every place. And we have to go back to what the Jews said here. Who or what Peter said, who are we to stand in God's way? God's integrating his church, bringing people together. The Gentile Christians have the same spirit, and the church fell silent. Would you turn as we close to Revelation 7 and see the future church? The future heavenly host, the future gathering around the throne, the future company that will be a part of heaven. I'm not trying to get into an end times thing there by saying the word church. I could have misspoken, so forgive me for that. Who is gathered around the throne? That's what matters in this. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand and sing in Christ alone? Amen. Hallelujah. In Christ alone.